Good morning, it is uh, me again. I bet you are so excited to see where this thing goes after that uh, welcome this morning. I'm excited too. All right, if you have your Bible, please be uh, turning with me to Luke chapter number 17. Uh, We are going to finish off this little uh, idea or mini sermon series that uh, we started last week um, that uh, about discovering Jesus either for the first time or knowing him more deeply as you uh, get to know him better. And today we're going to talk about how uh, to have a settled faith and what a settled faith is. Uh, if you've uh, made your way there, uh, please uh, stand with me. We're going to read Luke chapter 17, 11 through 19. If you're willing and able, stand with me for the reading of God's word. Verse 11 says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, last week we specifically focused on those verses. This week we're going to specifically focus more on the next, the following verses. Verse 15 says, Then one of them When he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, help us to settle our faith today. Give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Draw us into your presence for the first time. And Lord, I pray you would help us, if not the first time, to know you better uh, because of our presence with you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. A settled faith. What is a settled faith? First of all, you have to have um, an idea where I'm coming from when I say the word settled. Uh, in your house, you probably had this, this thing's going to hit me in the back of the head. You probably had this conversation before. What do you want to eat for supper or where do you want to go for dinner with you and your wife or with you and your kids? And, and everybody says, I don't care. Um, it's up to you until you say something about where it is that you would like to eat or what it is that you want to eat. And then it is not uh, up to you anymore because that's not what they meant. Here's what it, the way that this thing goes. It said, where do you want to eat? I don't care. You pick. Let's go to O'Charlie's. No, I don't want to go there. But you said, see, the conversation was over because it was up to you. It was settled based on your uh, opinion and based on your likes and your wishes But then, you know, we started to have to wrestle with this whole thing again about what it is we're going to eat or where we're going to eat because it wasn't settled. I'm going to give you a little ammunition for the next time this conversation comes up. Often the easiest way to settle something is asking if somebody has something against it. So instead of saying, let's go to our Charlie's, you say, do you have anything against going to Charlie's? And you give somebody the opportunity to say no, which is what they wanted to do in the first place. It works. It's awesome. It was used on me. So I know. And I, like, then I was in something that I didn't know I was going to get in. I was like, what? What just happened? I said, no. But I said, yeah. When you settle something, you wrestle to a conclusion, and then you have a reason for your actions. It becomes settled. When you, we think about having a settled faith, I want you to think of it like this. You possess a plan to trust. 
A settled faith is when you have a plan to trust Jesus. A settled faith engages with problems with hope as opposed to an unsettled faith that engages with problems looking for hope. See, this morning when you wrestle through this account, you realize that one had a, possessed a settled faith. One found that when he met Jesus. He possessed something he could never lose, and he never had to look for again. Nine in this account go looking for Jesus for whatever their problem was that time, and then they're going to have to go looking for him again the next time because all they got was their problem resolved. They didn't get a relationship. A relationship is where we're headed. Here's how this break t breaks down. This is what it takes to have a settled faith. Number one, you react right to Jesus' word. It's a right reaction to the word of God that begins your journey into having a settled faith. Obedience is first in that reaction. Obedience is the beginning. The right reaction is what you do when you hear what Jesus has done. Or it's what you do when you know what Jesus has said. That's the right reaction Always 100%. When you look through this account and you look at what Jesus does, he says, okay, I come into this village. There's 10 people who have leprosy. They all call out to me. He gives them a command. They all react in obedience. They all begin the right way. It says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And because they obeyed Jesus, their problem was resolved. As they went, they were cleansed. But obedience is, I mean, the right reaction is more than obedience. You can obey everything that the Bible says morally and still not have a settled faith. Don't lie. Don't steal. Honor your father and your mother. Don't lust. Don't create idols. You can do all of these do's and don'ts. You can check every box and still not have a settled faith. Returning to praise is what you do after you obey. Why? Because praise takes you to a different place than just checking a box. Praise puts your heart in the game. Being thankful for the opportunity that Jesus gave you puts your heart in the game. Obedience without praise is worshiping the command and not the commander. Obedience without praise is worshiping the command and not the commander. If you're not returning to Jesus to praise him for what he's done, then all you're worried about is checking a box, and that's not a relationship. You can be the perfect husband by checking boxes, but not love your wife. You can be the perfect child. You can be the perfect student by checking all the boxes. You can never, ever get a bad grade, never miss a question on the test. You can be a perfect everything, and still your education would be hollow. Why? Because you didn't use what God had blessed you with, that great mind to help anybody along the way. You didn't take what God gave you and make it a heart thing and help the person next to you. All you was worried about is checking the box saying, I got it right. You can be a great husband or a great wife by making sure every one of the 511 things to do in your house is finished and complete and still go to bed with this longing and lost inside of you because you don't have a relationship. 
You have a set of boxes to check. Returning puts your heart in the game. See, when you get into the New Testament and you start wrestling through what Jesus does, you realize that Jesus took the, everything that was in the Old Testament and made them heart issues. All those commands, all those incredibly difficult sets of rules to follow. He made them all heart issues. And he would say things like, if you've ever lusted after a woman in your heart, then you've committed adultery. He said, if you ever got angry, then you've committed murder. He took things that were just boxes to check, do not murder. I can check that box. But if I've ever been angry, I can't check that box. I have been angry and I have committed murder according to Jesus' word. If I just wanted to check boxes, I could be really good. I'd be a really good box checker. I really like doing that. But Jesus made everything a heart issue. Consider this. These ten had no problem acknowledging their own brokenness or the brokenness of the world they lived in. There was no way for them to deny that reality. It was easy for them to say it's not supposed to be this way. So when you look at this account plays out and consider why it's written to those who read it first, the goal is not to show that obedience changes everything. The goal is to show the original audience how to praise Jesus in obedience. The goal is to show how they needed Jesus, how these people that had this problem, these ten that called out to Jesus, needed Jesus for more than just a physical problem. They needed Jesus for eternal security to demonstrate that the real need is not for a healer, but for a savior. Jesus does this again in Mark chapter 2. He does it all over. But in Mark chapter 2, there's this lame guy who gets to Jesus because four men bring him. They make a hole in a roof. They drop this lame guy down through a hole in the roof. And instead of like somebody who can't walk, literally does not have the use of their legs, was carried by four people, dropped down through a hole in the roof. And Jesus looks at this guy hanging from a rope in his presence and says, your sins are forgiven. The first thing that Jesus addressed wasn't the fact that he was broken physically, but that he was broken spiritually. Come all the way back to here. The real need is not for healing for us. You will never come to Jesus to be saved until you know that you need him. That's the ballpark of salvation. You have to know that you need Jesus for more than physical relief. You have to know that you need him to save you before you'll ever ask. That begin with, begins with acknowledging the reality that everything's messed up. And too often, we're focused on how we can deny how everything's messed up. Or too often, we're too worried about getting out of our situation than trying to wrestle with what it is God's doing while we're there. In the world we live in, there is a billion-dollar companies dedicated to distracting you from the difficulties in your life. They've dedicated their whole lives to the, ridding you of the idea that this place that we live in, this world that we are a part of is broken. They've changed terminology. They've taken words and began to bend them to make them suit their ends and so that we might think that nothing's really wrong when the whole thing that we're living in is not getting any better, it's getting worse.
All kinds of money is made from people who prey on you when you seek to deny what's true about yourself and the world that you live in. When all the while the answer is the gospel. The answer is acknowledging that you can obey, but you can never change your heart. The answer is what you need is that what you really need is a settled faith. It's peace from hope. From what someone to say, it's broke, but it's going to be okay. I have fixed what's broken about you. What did the nine miss that the one didn't? They missed the fact that getting out of the struggle was not the ultimate goal of their situation. God did not so order this opportunity to make their physical hurt go away. He gave them the opportunity to know Jesus. Settling your faith begins with the right reaction. That reaction starts with obedience, but the end must be praise. Check more than a box. Praise Jesus for what he and he only can do. Because obedience plus praise leads to gratitude, number two. Settle your faith by demonstrating gratitude. One, turn back. Think about this. When offered the life he used to have, he returned and went to Jesus. He went to the one who had the power to change everything. He left those not willing to return. When gratitude is not initially demonstrated, it can be seen as ingratitude. Now, let me walk through all of what I just said. Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Being cleansed meant that they got that, you know, COVID negative plus three-day pass to go back to start living their life. They could rejoin society. They could go back to their families and everything that they once knew. But gratitude brought one back. It was volitionally volitionally demonstrated by one. And Jesus looked at the nine and said, where's everybody else? Do you think the nine were grateful? I think they would have been. I think if you could have ran them down in this situation, I think if you were standing on the outside looking in and you saw ten lepers call out to Jesus from a distance, And then Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest. And on their way, everything that was broken about them went away like that. As they went, they were cleansed. One turns and goes back. And you're watching one run back this way. And nine keep going that way. And you're what? He looks grateful. I wonder if they do. I bet if you could have took off in that moment. And you could have said, hey, are you grateful for what just happened? Are you, are you thankful that you had the opportunity? I know that what you went through was really, really difficult. And I know that it was bad. And I know that it wasn't until you heard about Jesus that you found hope that there was going to be relief from this situation. But y'all kept going and one went back. And are you grateful? I think all nine say, yes, I am grateful that this is not the way that I am anymore. But if you don't demonstrate gratitude, it's seen as ingratitude. If you don't demonstrate gratitude, it's seen as ingratitude. If you could have caught up with them, I bet that's what it says. We know that in our own hearts, if this was us, that there are reasons that they wouldn't have come back. 
they would have been able to say, that ain't my mess anymore. They would have been able to say, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to get my life back. I got kids to see. I'm ready to go back to work, to playing golf, to the beach, to the lake, whatever. All these things you can't wait to get back to when you're broke physically are reasons that the nine might not have come back. We haven't reinvented the human condition. We are still selfish above all things. But every problem in your life is a dependence opportunity. These guys had the opportunity to settle their faith. A time when you have an opportunity to get involved in the power of Jesus in your life, and in that problem, you must find gratitude. When you're grateful, when you struggle to find something to be grateful for, when you miss everything. And that difficult situation in your life is resolved and you still can't figure out why you don't feel any better. It's because you weren't grateful. Think about the last difficult, last difficult situation you had in your life that was resolved. I want you to like, seriously, I'm going to give you like five seconds. Think about the last really hard thing that you were like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know where we're going here. It is incredibly difficult for me to see relief or resolve. Think about the last hard thing that was resolved in your life. Now consider how God worked to get you through that and the reactions in your ends. Think about the things that God had to do in order to, for you to find resolution, resolve, relief, healing, and an end to that difficulty. All the things that God had to do. If you really sit and you really wrestle and you really look through the rearview mirror of your life, then you'll see this. Often the big things that God does in your life, you're not going to see in the windshield. You're only going to see them when you stop and think about how it is that you got here. I looked at our students this morning. I said, the majority of them, which is crazy, like 70% probably of our students this morning, did not grow up here, meaning their parents did not bring them here when they were in kindergarten. They didn't grow up here. They arrived here. I did not grow up here. I've only been you know, involved here in the, for the past five or six years. But if I have to draw a road map to this morning and think about all of the ways that you see me, all the things that had to happen for you to look at me on this stage this morning, it is absolutely mind-blowing how good God is. And how many times I messed it up. And how many times he forgave me for it. And how many times I wasn't grateful. And how many times I didn't return to give praise. And how many times he said, it's okay, we're still going to go. We're still going to love you. I still got a job for you and you have a purpose. We're going to get there. And one day you're going to look in the rearview mirror of your life and you're going to see this. And you're going to praise me for it. God did all of it. And until you are grateful volitionally until you actually do something to demonstrate your gratitude. It's easy for God to look at you and say, I don't know if you're grateful or not. I don't know if you, you know, see what I just did or you're more worried about next week. Gratitude settles your faith. The right reaction is more than obedience. Did the one ever go to the priest when Jesus said, 
go show yourself to the priest? Absolutely. I believe that he did. When? I don't know. I don't believe he just shrugged off that. And then Jesus honored him by saying, you know, your faith has made you well. If he was going to be completely disobedient sinner five seconds after Jesus did something in his life. Did he ever go? I think he did. How many times has your problem ever been solved and you didn't acknowledge the source or react the right way? Your problem went away. You still felt empty. And you wonder why in the absence of of a difficulty you still felt alone. Because your reaction to what Jesus did in your life, what brought you through it, didn't yield praise or gratitude or faith. You just kept looking in the windshield and never looked to see what Jesus had actually done to get you through. Gratitude is trust born from the rearview mirror that empowers the view that you see through the windshield. You want to change your life today? If you start being more grateful to God today, it will change everything about you. Once you start being thankful for what God's done instead of, you know, what you want him to do, for what you have instead of what you don't have. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the first verse. It is him who is leading you. Do you know why we need a shepherd? Because we're sheep. Do you know what sheep are? Pretty dumb. (laughs) Sheep will die like 100 yards from water unless somebody takes them there. They'll fall off a cliff. You don't know why they need the staff with the hook? To keep them from falling off of a cliff. They'll follow a shepherd wherever he goes if if the sheep can see the shepherd. But here's the cool thing, that you just think of that like white little furry sheep or whatever color it might be, sheep. The sheep never do what we have to do, what we must do, what is absolutely a requirement for our faith. The sheep never turn back and look at what all has happened to them and where God has brought them. See, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, Psalm 23. The end of that says, and goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. In the windshield, Jesus is leading you, but it's in the rear view that you see goodness and mercy. Gratitude comes from the rear view. Faith and hope and trust and settling that faith is what you have to have for the windshield. When you obey and praise and demonstrate volitional gratitude, you settle your faith and you get yourself to a place where you can be found at the feet of Jesus. So that you can grow your relationship with him. Number three this morning. Grow your relationship. How do you settle your faith? You take whatever you are today. Whatever point you are today. And you say today is the day I'm going to grow my relationship. You can begin with gratitude. You can begin if you've never done it. Memorize Psalm 23. It is a wonderful psalm. It is a great picture of God's work in our life. You grow your relationship by changing your perspective. This is the part that I wanted to get to. I was really like holding back. I want, you know, when you, I want you to go home and I want you to read these verses again. And I want you to think about them with, you know, as I say this to you this morning. I want you to consider how this guy's view, this one guy, the one that went back, how his view changed of Jesus throughout this account. Watch. 
In order for them to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, somebody had to tell them about Jesus. Last week I told you, the day that you share your faith with somebody else is their last day without hope. They heard about Jesus. That's his first perspective. That's the first view. That's all that that guy knew about Jesus. Was that somebody shared hope with them. He heard that Jesus could because somebody shared He didn't know what he came to find out. Just like this morning. If you didn't know Jesus could this morning until you got here, now you do. He heard about Jesus. Number two, his second perspective that he had of Jesus is he saw him from a distance. He saw Jesus from a distance, and then, you know, him and nine other people cried out to Jesus. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Remember last week, we said they made a plan. They said, if I can just get to Jesus, I'll do it from here. If I can just see him, I'm going to yell, have mercy on me. He saw Jesus from a distance. But Jesus is not a savior from a distance. Jesus doesn't save you from way over there. Because at the end of this account, we see where that guy ended up. At his feet. Jesus is going to call in like the airstrike of salvation from way over there without you getting to know him and without you changing the way that you see him. You grow your relationship by changing your perspective. He heard about Jesus. He saw Jesus. This guy, one guy, saw Jesus from a distance. He saw Jesus see him. That's what it says. Verse 14, when he saw them. They had a plan because they heard. They got to a place where they could see Jesus. He saw Jesus. They yell out. And can you imagine the kind of hope and the kind of like overwhelming sensation? I don't even know what to call it. But to say that when 10 guys yell out and you see Jesus' face turn and he acknowledges what just happened and you say, it worked. He sees me. The relief that came because Jesus saw him. The fourth one he had was he experienced the power of Jesus when he was obedient to his word. As he went, he was cleansed. He experienced the power. Imagine having this incredible thing wrong with you. This life-altering earthquake train wreck of a thing that happened to you that separated you from you and from everything that you'd ever known and then to see jesus to see you know yell at him to see jesus see you to hear the command of jesus to be obedient to the relationship to be obedient to the word of jesus and begin to go and all of a sudden everything that was wrong with you just went away When you read the Bible, if you start reading it like this, it'll change how you read the Bible. You should be walking around in the house all kinds of excited because you're living out what they lived out. That's how you're supposed to read it anyway. He experienced the power of Jesus as he obeyed. Think about when he looked down and his problem was gone. He might have thought, wow, it actually worked. Here's my promise to you. Isaiah 55 says that God's word never returns void. Every time you read it, every time it is said, every single time 
it works. You don't have to wonder, is it going to? Yes, every time. It never returns void. It always works. Those guys were going, and it worked, and they thought, our plan worked. It worked, it worked, it worked. Number five, he left the comfort of the group to get closer to Jesus. This was going to hurt you a little bit. He left a pretty big party to go back and hang out at somebody's feet. He went back, and think about how he looked on his way back to Jesus. Dude, I, am like, I lost it this morning when I was like, I was like typing this or whatever, and like my face went flush, and I had to start breathing because I was like sucking wind when this thing hit me this morning. Don't you know that everything that this guy went through, have y'all all been through something like incredibly emotional, and when it was over, you had nothing left to get into the world. You'd be like, please don't ask anything of me the rest of this day. If you do, I'm just, I don't have it to give. I don't care anymore. Think about this guy on his way back to Jesus. I bet it was every ounce of strength, emotionally and physically, it took for him to get back. And by the time he got there, it says that he fell, I believe it was like collapsed. Somebody pulled the rug out from under his feet, and it was bam. All I got left is to be right here. Right here was a pretty cool place. He left a pretty big party. And I'm willing to bet that he collapsed when he got there. The sixth way that he saw Jesus in this account was when he saw him as Savior. He looked up from Jesus' feet. His journey was complete. His gratitude was expressed. His reverence was honored. With every problem, this is where we have to endeavor to get to. Can I just get to Jesus? I have conversations with young people. Sometimes I have conversations with old people. But I have conversations with young people all the time. And my goal every time is to put the Bible in front of them and say, okay, we're just trying to get to Jesus' feet. We're going to get there. All right? I just got to get you to where you're dependent upon Jesus. I just got to get, yes, I know that that's hard. Yes, I understand that that's difficult. Yes, but, but Jesus I can't help you. I'm not, I don't have a magic wand. I don't have the power to change your situation and circumstance. God might have equipped me with the words to say to you, but here's the word, Jesus. I got one bullet. <laughs> this guy looked up from Jesus' feet knowing his journey was complete. So number seven, his perspective changed. The last one, he saw, he saw him as Lord. So he saw him as Savior when he got to his feet. The last perspective changes when Jesus looks at him and says, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You have a new life to live and a new power to live by. Your faith has made you well. Ten people were cleansed. One was made well. Ten people were rid of their present circumstance and difficulty. One had something to fight with the rest of his life. When it comes to our physical struggles, everybody wants to be healed. Everybody wants a Savior. 
Everybody wants somebody to get them out of what they're in. But when it comes to a decision about your eternal destination, most people would choose just Savior. If I say you have to jump out of this plane, do you want a parachute? Yes, I want something to save me. Gravity is going to be rough on me when I leave this place. Do you want to be saved? Yes. Okay, when you get to the ground, you have to follow Jesus the rest of your life. I don't know about that. Hold up. See, that's the difference between Savior and Lord. Lord is who you follow. You have to be more than healed but forgiven to be eternally saved. Everyone wants a Savior. Not everyone wants a Lord. And here's the truth that you can't miss. Settling your faith is not relief from your present circumstances, but a relationship with Jesus that makes you well. Settling your faith is not relief from your present circumstances, but a faith in Jesus that makes you well. Until you get there, your circumstances are going to keep changing. There's a couple of things that are certain in this life. You're going to pay taxes. Concrete's going to get hard. Right? You're going to die. Everything's going to change. Like, these are certainties. But faith is what makes you well. If you keep looking on things to be perfect, then you're never going to find them in this life. Here's the thing, and I, I'm, I can't remember where I say things anymore. Um, here's the thing that I want you guys to realize. When you think that your situation and circumstance and everything's got to go right in order to make you whole and happy, realize that you're setting an expectation up for this world that has literally never existed. How do I know that? I can go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and God created everything. And after every day that he created anything, he said, and it is good. He didn't say it was perfect. When he created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden and he said, go to work. Because there was something to work on. Everything wasn't pristine. God created your life like he created Adam's life for you to be involved in the work in your life, your garden, and for you to be dependent upon him. And if you think everything's got to be just so and just right in order for you to be made well and whole... It's never going to happen because it's never happened. Settling your faith is not relief from your present circumstances, but a relationship with Jesus that makes you well. There's a difference between being healed and being made well. Ten were healed. Healed is the result of being broken and then fixed. But when you're made well, you have someone to follow. When you're made well, you know what you're going to do next time. When you're made well, you have an instrument of use for every struggle. When you're made well, you're accepted no matter what. When you're made well, you're healed in a physical state with present benefits, maybe, but you don't need it because when you're made well, you've been made well eternally. You've settled your faith. See, Jesus works all throughout the Bible, works in your life. To bring you into a position to know him more. Every time. You don't see a single situation in the Bible where Jesus is creating distance between himself and anybody. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares you. That means there are things in your life that are holding you back that are not sin. Every weight and sin. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith.
For with the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is all the time drawing you towards him. Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh, and three times I prayed about it, and God didn't take it away because he wanted me to learn this truth. In my weakness, Jesus' power is made perfect. Jesus heals to emphasize a truth, to learn, for you to learn, and for you to be taught. When you unpack your difficulty spiritually instead of seeking a physical fix, Watch this. When you unpack your, when you, I'm so excited about this. When you unpack your difficulty spiritually instead of only seeking a physical fix, you go from a place devoid of faith and hope to a place where your faith has made you well. When you quit saying, all I need is everything to be back the way that it used to be. I done told you, concrete gets hard, everything changes, you got to pay taxes, you're going to die. All those things, nobody's running out on those truths. It's going to happen. It's never going to be the way that it used to be. Tomorrow is going to be different even than today. A subtle faith is a destination of spiritual presence, but it has eternal ramifications. So how does this apply to you? Out of everything that I've said this morning, I want you to get these three things. Number one, I want you to realize that obedience and praise are necessary to settle your faith. If you want God's purpose for your life, you must allow God's process to work in your life. He did not do something mean to you so that you would struggle. He put something in front of you so that you would come to him. You're not going to get to his purpose until you embrace that process. And your perspective is going to change everything about that. I love this quote. This is not mine, but it is awesome. If God, if you went back and erased all of your mistakes and all of your hard times, you'd also erase all of your strength, all of your courage, and resolve got built into you through those experiences. Everything that you have today is because you made it through yesterday. And God did that. The obstacle to getting perspective is your willingness to acknowledge truth. Are you willing to say what really happened was not luck or coincidence? Are you willing to say it was God who worked to get you to where you needed to be in order that you could see him? The invitation was to ten people. Ten lepers cried out from a difference. One acknowledged. And the difference in those experiences were nine were healed, one was made well. One got both. Because the closer he got to Jesus, the more he figured out about Jesus. Are you brave enough to pray this morning, Lord, I'm in a place where I need you. I want out, but more than that, I want you. Are you brave enough to pray that prayer? Man, there are some times that I pray stuff and it scares me to death. When I have to say stuff like when I really get convicted about something that's happening in our church because so many powerful and awesome things are happening, and I'm like, am I really doing enough? And I think, probably not, and I have to pray this prayer. Lord, no matter what, I'll cry just saying it out loud. Lord, no matter what, make me who I need to be so I can help them. When I have to pray that, it is scary. Are you brave enough to pray, Lord, I want out, but more than that, I need you. Show me you. Jesus' work in your life is not an accident. The answers to your problems are on purpose. 
How often have your problems found solutions and you didn't go back to thank Jesus for the work that he did to get you out? How often have you made it through something and just went on with your life instead of going back and thanking Jesus for where you just got from? How often you've been like the nine who just went back to the life that they used to have? One met net Jesus. If you want to grow your relationship, settle your faith, number one this morning, I want to admit you to remember that it's more than obedience. You have to praise Jesus for what he's done in your life. You have to live looking in the rear view, being grateful. Number two, when you can't be grateful, when you struggle to find something to be grateful for, you got to read Psalm 23. And don't forget how badly you once wanted what you currently have. Man, I do that all the time. I pray about something, pray about something, pray about something, and then it happens. Lord, thank you, and I move on, driving down the road with my eyes in the windshield. How badly do you want, have you once wanted what you got right now? And how often have you thanked God for it? God has brought you into a place for you to remember this. This morning, don't be like the nine. Remember all the hard places that you've been. Remember every bit of strength and resolve that you've learned. Remember this, God has brought you through every one of your hardest days. And they weren't for nothing. He has brought you through every one of your hardest days. There has never been a day that was really, really hard that you hadn't made it through because you're sitting here right now. Number three, grow your relationship. Obey and praise. Number two, get grateful. Number three, I want you to take home with you this. Grow your relationship. You say, maybe I'll start tomorrow. Excuses, I got them. I got better ones than you. Craig likes to remind me that I got really good ones. And he's also figured out the way that I use my really good ones. If I really don't want to do something, I start talking about how much it's going to cost. We can't, man, that, you know, we can't go bowling. It'll cost six grand. <laughs> no, it won't. I'll just make up, throw some number out there to like, like, you know, shock and awe and think that it's just going to go away. He's all figured out everything about it. See, excuses, everybody's got them. But excuses make today easy, but tomorrow difficult. If you want to settle your faith, then you have to obey and praise. You've got to get grateful and you've got to grow your relationship. Today can be that day. You can keep saying one day or today can be day one. Can you be brave enough to trust Jesus and not regret it? Think about that conversation the one had with the nine after all this went down. Let's just say that he wasn't the last in the line. He obviously wasn't the leader because everybody didn't come back when he came back. So let's just say he was either, you know, second to last or mid-pack. And he sees what happens to him, and everybody else is going this way, and he says, whoa. Think about the conversation that's had later. They say, where did you go? I went back to Jesus. What happened then? See, his story changed. Their circumstances changed, but his story changed. 
Acknowledge your problem and ask him for help is hard today, but it will change everything about tomorrow. Someone here today needs more than healing. You need saving. Someone here today needs more than a Savior. You need a Lord. You need to come and fall at the feet of Jesus and acknowledge your sinfulness. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of that sin is death. You say, Pastor Adam, you don't know what I'm going through. I might or I might not, but I have I don't have to know what you're going through because all I know is that you've made it through every hard day and today's your opportunity. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. All you have to do is have enough belief to follow Jesus' feet. Enough looking in the rearview mirror to realize that you're not here this morning by accident. Enough understanding that you always have done things wrong and that God's mercy and grace have given you the opportunity to know Jesus today. Today could be your first day. It can be day one of you knowing Jesus or you can keep saying one day. Only by God's power and grace have you made it, and it wasn't for nothing. Here's your chance. As I pray and our musicians come, today is the day for you to make a decision, for you to settle your faith no matter where you are in your faith journey. Today can be your first step, your 14th step, or your 481st step. It doesn't matter because you're not supposed to stay where you are because nothing stays the same. Settle your faith. Obey and praise. Be grateful. Grow your relationship. Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity. I do pray this morning. As we consider this time of invitation, no matter where we are in our minds and our hearts, that I know, Lord, that there is somebody here that needs you to save them. I pray, God, that they would acknowledge their need this morning. I pray that this would be their day one of knowing you as Savior and Lord. And Lord, I pray they would claim the promise of John 3, 16, that whoever believes, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, then you will be saved. And that all who call, you never turn away. I pray this morning that today is day one. And for those who are seeking relief from their circumstances, help them to know you in their circumstances. I pray for those who are growing their relationship that you would take them, help them to take the next step. Whatever the opportunity this morning that you placed on the heart of those here, I pray, God, you would leave them powerfully to act on it. In Jesus' name, amen.